Good afternoon. There we go. All right. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 2 if you have your Bibles. We also have it in the bulletin there. Join me now, brothers and sisters. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather from the sheaves after the reapers. And so she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness was not forsaken, the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for for your word, for the time to come together and to exposit it and to hear what you have to say in our own individual lives, Lord. Speak now through your word. Speak now through me and minimize myself as, as we only seek to hear your words in our lives, Lord. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So last week, we began this story of Ruth, this uh, seemingly unconventional story 
of a somewhat unimpressive woman in the ancient Near East. And we kind of questioned why is this even in the canon? How did we come across this story without any overt supernatural miracles, without any prophecies of Jesus, without any great battles or great times like that? What, what are we supposed to learn from this? I think one, one, one inch issue that stands out is that God uses outsiders to challenge the insiders, that God called this, uh, this foreigner with faith into his flock. And this foreigner, despite having a book named after her, despite, despite coming up time and time again, and we're following her and tracking with her, we learned last week that Ruth is not actually the main character here. Similar to, similar to our lives, she's not the main character in her own story. God is the main character. God is the primate, the, primate, the primacy of God is, is, is shining through this story. This is a story about God. This is a story about his character and how he reveals it to us. You see, with God, there's no coincidences. We, we talked all last week through chapter one, abundant providences that, that landed Ruth in this family, this, is, this Israelite family that landed in Moab and brought them together. This idea that brought her back in covenant with, with the Jewish people, with the Abrahamic covenant. This idea that faith is placed in us to act out. This inconvenient faith is actually placed in our hearts to be an, out, an outcropping, an outworking of God's promises for us. And this idea that God is going to meet us with far more blessings than we could have imagined. That no matter what is happening in our lives, we might not see it happening, and we might not receive the blessings as we might expect, but it's going to be more than we could have hoped for. And we see this continue to unfold for Ruth today. So, Given the times we initially thought about, it seemed a little bit crazy that God would even speak such volumes here. Um, they're, they're, they're coming off, they're coming off a, a stint of pretty heavy sin, the Israelite people. Uh, they're, they're dealing with famine and dealing with God's rebuking. And yet God is showing his, his he's displaying his covenant-making and covenant-keeping abilities through a foreigner. And I, I find it interesting because it's kind of a challenge it's a little bit of a challenge to the church. It's, it, I, I see this outsider coming in, and <clears throat> the, the first instances of unbelief in chapter 1 was not a, a rebuking of, of the foreigner. It was not a rebuking of all these nations around them that were worshiping false gods. It was a rebuking of the Israelite people, of the people that knew God. And so God is using a foreigner to show what faith actually looks like. God is actually challenging the church status quo. And we witness, we witness a beautiful profession of faith today. And I, I love that this church does that. I love coming to church and engaging in this, in this call and response liturgy. I, I love that we read from the Old Testament and the New Testament. I love that we have communion together and we, and we interact and we're all friendly. But your faith has to go beyond the walls of this church. God sees your heart in this. And it, it is absolutely imperative for us to take part in worship together and to be in church together. But there's so much more in our lives, and it's, it's, an out, it's supposed to be this outworking of inconvenient faith that, that, we're supposed, that we're called to have. And this focus, this is why we focus on the story of Ruth so much, because she is this outsider. She's not an insider of, of the church, of, of what we would call the church at the time. And it's through this pursuit of inconvenient faith, we actually discover the two aspects of God's character that we, that we revealed last week, was, was God as a redeemer and God as Lord. As a redeemer, bringing about the redemption of his people, perpetually redeeming his people, and as Lord, this idea of, of providence working out, that the smallest details of our lives are actually working out for God's glory. 
Our focus last week was how God is orchestrating everything. And there could be really no other explanation for Ruth's circumstances other than that God is moving through them as well as through her heart. And today, today I want to unpack what this blossoming redemption could look like, what this blossoming redemption looks like in chapter 2. We start right away in verse 1, and we're introduced to Boaz. And again, I mentioned last week that that it's an oral tradition that was transcribed. So if you were listening to this, if you were sitting around a campfire hearing this story, you would have noticed a little bit of redundancy right in the beginning. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. So there's, there's, she's, they're saying the same thing twice to bring your attention into this character, to bring your attention into this man Boaz. They're saying, keep an eye on this guy. As, as, we, as, we, move through, as we move through the chapters, keep an eye on this guy as we're, as we're unpacking. There's something about him that we're supposed to learn from. And sure enough, we, f- we come to find out in this chapter alone that, that he's a landowner with, with employees, that he's, that he's wealthy, that he's, doing fr- that he's doing very well with his life, that he's got, he's got it made. And... Uh, I think that it it establishes right away the differences because the differences between Boaz and Elimelech because they both just went through the same time. This famine affected all of Judah and yet here's Boaz, a wealthy landowner who's who's killing it. (laughs) And Elimelech unfortunately has passed away in, in a land far from his people, far from his God. And so I think what we're witnessing is, is the different. We're witnessing in, in Boaz the, the, the fruits of faithfulness. What happens when, when you stand your ground and you're faithful to the Lord? And we're also, as we, as we go through chapter 2 and into 3 and 4, we also witness in Boaz how to steward well over what the Lord has blessed you with, how to give abundantly, how to, how to love abundantly and give abundantly to God's people. And for Elimelech, unfortunately, we see fruits of unbelief. We see fruits of unbelief, the, the, the outcome of, of what, it, what it looks like to not have faith in the Lord. And I want to emphasize here, because this, this is something that I'm wrestling with too. Um, Elimelech's sin was not that he left to go provide for his family. I, I, I shared last week that that's a, that's a serious thing that's always going through my heart and my head, is how do I provide for my family? What do I do for my family? How, how, do, I, how do I make a good living for my family? And I don't want to make it look like it was because he left and didn't stay that that was his sin. His sin, like we said last week, was that he abandoned God. He cleaved to something else. He went to a foreign land, went to the foreign gods, gave up everything back home to just have some temporal, immediate results. And you may feel called right now in your life to do something unconventional or inconvenient. And you might be getting some, some feedback, some positive or negative feedback from, from well-intended, well-intended Christians saying stay put or saying go. But what I ask you is, is why is it that you feel called to this thing? What is it about what you're feeling called to in this moment? Is, is it, are you going after wealth? Are you, are you going after prestige or a title? Or are you going after God? Are you, are you trying to find a way to continue that inconvenient faith, to put it in God, in the new thing that you're being called to do. Because if that's the case, there's no sin in leaving. There's no sin in staying. If you're cleaving to God, there's no sin at all. But for Boaz, he stayed put. Now again, I'm emphasizing this is descriptive, this is not prescriptive. This is not saying that you have to stay. If there's a famine, you must stay and starve to death. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. Um, this is just the way that Boaz has displayed his inconvenient faith. 
Boaz and his fruits of faithfulness. This, this, it doesn't emphasize it in Scripture. It doesn't use those exact words. But what we're witnessing is inconvenient faith. He stayed put. He repented. He rebuilt Judah. And he was blessed abundantly for it. We see that he's got employees. He shows up. He's out doing his own thing. And he comes back to land being harvested by his people. He's not actually doing the, the, overseeing, the, the direct overseeing. He's got people. He's, got, he's, 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 uh, he's making it. He's made it. He's killing it. <laughs> Uh, this means that by staying put, he was blessed, despite going through the exact same famine that drove Elimelech and his family away. And this inconvenient faith is trusting in God. It is trusting in God. Uh, I want to bring your attention, if I could, to Proverbs chapter 3. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. But if you want to write it down, explore this proverb. Explore chapter 3. It's all about trusting, putting your heart, and putting your full faith in God. And I see, starting in verse, just verses 3 and 4, I just see the instant, a, a, a perfect description of what a godly man is. What a godly man is, and it's, and it's perfectly emulated by, by Boaz. Proverbs chapter 3, verse, verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and of man. This idea of steadfast love, of steadfastness that we're working through the book of James on, what it looks like to, to have steadfast love and trust and faith in the Lord. And it's not an easy thing. It's not something that it comes super easily. Um, but this perfectly breaks down what a godly man is. That binding it around your neck means like you're never, you can't not feel it. You constantly feel the weight of your own faithfulness in the Lord. Writing it on your heart means that every single thing that you go out and do, everything is an outcropping of that faithfulness. Every time you give, you're giving joyfully and abundantly. Every time, I mean, that means, that means on the LIE that I get frustrated with, you, someone starts to cut you off. You take your foot off the gas for one second, and you just say, go ahead. And even if the guy's being a jerk and doesn't signal in, it's okay, because you're, you're giving abundantly. You're, you're being peaceful, and you're being loving in this way. And you're not doing it begrudgingly. You're not doing it as a frustrated person and muttering curse words under your breath, which I confess I have done before. You, you, you are doing it out of love. You're doing it out of love. And Boaz is this godly man. He's emulating God. He's acting, he almost acts exactly like God. He, he's the perfect type, the God type in this chapter. He's an example of how we should be. Now, Ruth still is displaying her faithfulness in this chapter because Ruth doesn't know any of this stuff about Boaz. We have the blessing of 3,000 years of hindsight to know these things. Ruth is just still stepping out to glean leftovers from a harvest that's already underway. She has this idea in her head that she's going to survive. I need to, I need to go out, and we need to figure out how we're, what we're going to eat for the next two days. So I'm going to go and pick up the leftovers of this harvest, and I'm going to bring them back, and we're going to split them up. I'm going to split them up with my mom-in-law, and we're going to eat for the next two days. And we see again this instance of, of God setting up what we would think are, are coincidences, but he's blessing us abundantly. She's going out thinking she's going to try to survive, and God has her set up to thrive. And we mentioned earlier that God meets us with far more than we expect, but sometimes it's in a way that we didn't see coming. I think Paul, Paul writes about, I mean, it's all, it's all over the New Testament as well, but Paul writes about it in his letters to uh, the church in Ephesus. He says that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we, we, can, that all that we can ask or think. So he's giving us, he can bless us far greater than we could even expect. 
And I want to ask, I ask myself this, should this, should this change the way that we pray? Should this fundamentally shift the way we pray? I find myself praying all the time, and I don't think it's wrong, but I pray for, for my daughter's health. I pray for the health of my wife. I pray for my family. I pray that, that, I'll, that I'll, I'll have a lucrative job. I'll, I, pray, I, I, list, I have a laundry list of things I ask for, but I wonder if God is going to give us more than we could even ask, or more than we could even think about, then maybe our emphasis is wrong here. Maybe what we're supposed to be praying is, is, Lord, give me the faith. Give me the faith to just accept the circumstances that you've laid out. We know, again, we know that there are no coincidences. We know that God has everything laid out for us, and we know he's going to bless us beyond what we could imagine. So maybe we're supposed to sit in that middle part with faith, step forward with faith. These answers to prayers manifest in ways we may not expect and through means we don't see coming. And we're called to trust God's providence in it. God's providence is, is what's bringing Ruth, it's brought Ruth back to Judah, and now it's bringing Ruth to the next step, the next phase of her blessing, the next phase of redemption in her life. In verse 3, she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And I kind of I laugh here, I and mean, in hindsight we can kind of laugh because we see the story already kind of unfolding. We, we know that she didn't just happen upon, upon this. The, things, things don't just happen. Things do, there are no coincidences in life. And as I was, as I was working through this and, and thinking through this scripture, I, I, I couldn't help, I kept coming back to my own life, that what led me to this point in my life. Even, even not so long ago, just 10 years ago, I graduated college. In 2011, I graduated with a bachelor's from Stony Brook. And I didn't have a lot of debt because my parents helped me pay for stuff. And I had a job lined up. I had a good friends. I partied a lot. I had a good time. And I got a job just to, just to hold me over for the summer out in the Hamptons. And I continued my partying in the Hamptons. It's very easy to do that. And one night out in the Hamptons, I got myself arrested. And everything changed. Every single thing changed from that point. And not necessarily for the better. I'm not saying like I had this great awakening and I became a better person at 21 because I'm still working through that, that mud right now. But I had, a, I had a girl that I thought I was supposed to marry because all my friends were starting to get married. I had the job lined up that I thought I was supposed to take because that's the next step of the thing you're supposed to do. You go to college and you get a job. And my entire life's trajectory shifted. I had no life savings. I couldn't drive to certain places because it was a DWI that I got arrested for. My life was a freaking mess. And I'll be honest, like, if you're in the thick of it now, I understand where you're coming from. And the last thing I wanted to hear in that moment was that God has a plan for you because I would have punched you in the mouth. <laughs> like, like, you don't want to hear that in, that in that moment. And even my parents tried consoling me that, listen, this is not who you are. That that this is not, this is not, uh, it's a blip in your existence. And that a year from now, and two years from now, and five years from now, you're not going to even feel this way. You're going to feel differently. But when you're in the thick of it, and you, and you can't see the outcome of it, it's hard. It's so darn hard to see that. It's hard when we don't know the outcome. And so, I think about what it must have felt like for Ruth, in a, in a land she doesn't know, basically picking up scraps out of the dirt to eat. And she's just, she's doing it with faith. It's faith that I didn't have. 
She's doing it with faithfulness. And this thing happened to her. Now, the literal translation of this, the literal translation is, the happenstance that happened to her was. The happenstance that happened to her was. So I almost envision that Ruth is actually this, this, this stationary object, and God is unfolding his plan around her, swirling it around her in the field. That she stepped out into the field, and this whole plan is coming together by no volition, nothing of her own, and it's just happening to her. And there are no coincidences. Ruth doesn't know this. She's, she's stepping out into the unknown again. She's out of her bed and into the field, and her faith is still inconvenient. And I want to remind us that at any point, she could bail. She still has, there's, there's no evidence of, of her family writing her off. She could go back to where she had everything in Moab, and instead she's staying put. So as much faith as it took to come to Judah and to come into this land of people that she didn't know and, a foreign, and be a foreigner that is actually kind of despised by this culture— as much faith as it took to come here, it takes just as much inconvenient, any inconvenient faith to stay put. And she doesn't know Boaz well, even as, we get to, as, even as she gets to meet him. She doesn't know what his motivations are. She knows that she's at risk. We know that in the ancient Near East that a woman could be easily assaulted and easily taken advantage of in these circumstances. She doesn't know, she doesn't have any confidence due to temporal safety nets. Everything is her faith in the Lord. This faith that we closed last week with a question, if Ruth had faith, how much greater of a faith should we have knowing the complete work of Jesus Christ? Knowing fully the finished work of Jesus Christ, how much more faith should we have than this Moabite woman? Of course, it's easier to see things in hindsight. It's easier to see that in 2011, the Lord was bringing me to my wife and that I was going to have twins. And even though we can't sleep all the time, like it's still really good. It's, it's still good. I'm, I'm crying because I'm tired and because I'm emotional. Uh, he, there's something working out in, the, in these moments. And Romans 8.28 comes to mind that all things are working together for the good of those that are called to his purpose. And brothers and sisters, as frustrating as it might be right now, that means the tragedies. That means being bedridden with illness. That means, that means a, a failing relationship. That means a loss of a relationship. It means the politics that are happening right now. It means vaccine mandates. Every single thing that is transpiring right now, every single thing that is happening right now is not coming by any surprise. God is not surprised by any of it. It's all working together for the good of those that are called to his purpose. And as Christians, we can have a quiet confidence, not because we know how it's going to transpire, but because we know the end of it. We know, we know the end of it. We know that there are no coincidences. We know that God is working all these things through. And we know that he's doing it for our blessing. And that what our part in this is, what, what we're called to do in this, in, this, in this middle part, is to have faith. And I'm not saying it's easy, but we're called to have that faith. We're called to have inconvenient faith. And we can't see it perhaps in our own lives immediately. But again, that's why we've been blessed with the Bible. We've been blessed with holy scriptures. We've been able to, we're able to see the plan of God unfold. We see redemption and providence played out in, the, in Boaz specifically. Boaz is, is that Proverbs 3 godly man. He's pursuing God's law with love. And he, like I said before, like we're letting that guy merge in on the LIE. He's not doing it begrudgingly. He's doing it joyfully. He's, he's, he's living out and exuding it from his heart because he has it written on his heart. And we see in Boaz this, this idea of covenant blessing. Last week we called out that Ruth was called back to this blessing, this Abrahamic covenant that she was shuv, that word was shuv, returned to. She was called back to this covenant. This, this 
promise made by God to God's people, despite her being a foreigner. And we pointed out uh, that this covenant is initiated and maintained by God, that it's a one-sided promise and contract. He promises it and he fulfills it by his power and by his grace alone. The, the way it becomes two-sided is the way, it, it's, the way it's outworked, especially in the Old Testament. I just want to read a couple lines from this book I've been pouring over, Faithful God by Sinclair Ferguson, as I've worked through uh, the book of Ruth. He describes covenant blessing. Quote, God sovereignly and graciously binds himself to us in his covenant and binds himself to fulfill all that is promised in it. But it is bilateral in its outworking. It is bilateral in its outworking. God promises that as his people respond to him in faithfulness, he will shower his blessings on them. But should they respond in disobedience, they will experience the darkness of his curse. This, this is what it looks like in the Old Testament. This is what it looks like, that we're being called to have, uh, Ruth is being called, and, and us down the road are being called to have this inconvenient faith, but it's in a response to God's inconvenient grace that he gives abundantly at all personal cost, just like Boaz is doing, at all personal cost, he's giving abundantly. <clears throat> and so Boaz is displaying said. The word is chesed. This, 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 it means covenant blessing. Um, it's all throughout chapter 2. His, his commitment, even, even just to allow the gleaning of his field. You see, he's, he's giving, not like a Pharisee, like we learn in the New Testament, the criticisms of the Pharisees were that they knew the letter of the law and they obeyed it to the letter, but they didn't have it in their hearts. And they actually used it in a, legally, in a legalistic way of trying to get out of things sometimes. Now, Boaz is giving abundantly, because at this point in history, if you owned land, you let, you let the outskirts of your land be harvested by, by people that were needy, that were hungry. They can come and pick up your leftovers, essentially. And Boaz is going above and beyond, because he's, he's not annoyed. He's not like a Pharisee. He sees an opportunity to give, and he does so abundantly and inconveniently, at his own cost, because that's now grain that he can't put in his pocket and sell, because this is an agricultural society. He's literally giving money away constantly, letting people come and just pick money off his trees. And Ruth, her faithfulness, her acting out of chesed, is the fact that she got out of bed at all. And she got out of bed and went into the field to go pick up things, to go pick up the leftovers. And we see, again, this, this level of God placing her and her faith outworking, and then God blessing her abundantly because of it. God placed her, with no coincidences, right in that field at that time. God gave her the faith to have, and she's working it out inconveniently. And now God is blessing her abundantly, beyond expectation. It's this, it's this idea of like a return of investment. Like you give this little bit. Jesus says you, you, have, the size of a must, you have faith the size of a mustard seed. And, and you, have, you can move mountains with it. And I, I can't imagine how this must have felt. The idea of, of first off, getting out of bed and, and, and living in these circumstances. But just going out in, in hopes to be able to, to feed yourself. Just to desire, being on the cusp of starvation. And, and against all odds, having this faith, having this abundant faith. And it's this faith that actually, it garners the attention of Boaz. He notices this faithfulness. He saw the chesed played out in Ruth. He recognized her in her story. He says, you know, I, I know that you came. You left everything behind in, in, in Moab, and, and here you are in Judah just to be with your mother-in-law. You left your father. You left your mother. You left your people. You left your gods. And here you are as a foreigner. I, I see that. I see you. God, God sees you in this. And in, in verses, continue in verse 12, 
we start seeing Boaz blessing Ruth. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. The wings, being covered by the wings of the Lord, being covered by the wings of God, being in his shadow. It's, 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 we see this throughout the Old Testament, and we're going to see it more in this, cha- in this book. This idea of being covered by God's wings, by, by embracing, be embracing him and him embracing us and, and having blessings rain down on us. It's a beautiful, it's a really beautiful metaphor. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And that's not a typo. It's, she's, she knows who she is. She knows where she came from. And she knows her unworthiness. I think that a lot of us in this church actually have that. When we come to church and we come and confess our sins before the Lord, we know our unworthiness. And we know that God is shining down on his servant, to, even though we're not the servant we should be, even though we're not one of his chosen servants necessarily like that. That's, that it's this inconvenient faith that brought her in that. And she, this faith actually brought about way more opportunity than she could have expected. She gleaned plenty because she was not, she didn't land on any other field where they might have collected it and then doled it out while they, how they saw fit. She actually went to a field where there was a man executing God's law as he was supposed to, letting her come and take her fill. And then on top of that, he takes notice of her and says, come and eat at my table, which you're inviting. Again, it's a, we see a Christ-like image of sitting at a table with, with the undesirables, sitting at a table with a foreigner, with someone who's not of, our, of God's people necessarily, ethnically speaking. And she's abundantly fed. It makes me think of coming to church. Again, like we witness professions. We, we come together and we sing hymns and we call and respond. We, we, we break bread and we eat communion. And, and, and that communion is more than the bread and wine. It's delicious. It's amazing. It's fulfilling. But you notice that whether, it, whether it's Pastor Ben or Brother David, always, we always have to shush to go sit back down. We always have to tell people to go sit back down because we're being filled with the Holy Spirit in those times. It's not just bread. We're being filled abundantly. We're getting plenty in the community that we, that we witness in this church. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. She went home with a doggy bag. She had, she had extra. And God blesses abundantly. And she's given refuge under the wings of God of Israel. The promises made by God to his people, this, and this is going to come up again and again, but it's the promises that were made to God's people are now being bestowed upon this foreigner. And she goes home with it, which is cool. Because Naomi's catching, catching secondhand blessings off of Ruth. She's, she goes home with a great story of being encouraged, but she also goes home with leftovers. And brothers and sisters, I love leftovers. I, I love leftovers. Thanksgiving leftovers are the best. But even I went to a family party yesterday, and I, and I took leftovers home, and I had the hero as soon as I got home. Like, I ate again, like, as soon as I got home. I love it. And it's funny because I think about going to my parents' house for dinner and being given leftovers, and it's even better. Leftovers are even better when you didn't make anything. Like, I didn't sh- it's not like I'm taking back. I have some family members that will take the stuff back. Like, they'll, be- they'll bring what they're bringing, and they're like, okay, one, two, three, four, five, okay, good. Have a good one. Like, it's nice when you go to a family dinner and— you whip out all those Chinese food plastic containers that we store in our, in our drawers and send us home with, with leftovers to take that I didn't have anything to contribute to. And that's what Ruth is experiencing. She didn't contribute anything here. She didn't go to work. She went to beg. She, when I first read this, I thought she was an employee. She's not an employee. She's, she's begging on the outskirts. And this beggar, this foreigner, 
is filled to, to the brim and sent home with extra. We don't bring anything to the table just like Ruth. And chapter 1, it's, be, it's because of chapter 1 where, where she, Ruth claimed Naomi's God as her God and Naomi's people as her people. And now, brothers and sisters, we are beginning to witness this, the blessings of God rain down on Ruth. This faithfulness is starting to get rewarded. I said before that you could read ahead. I don't know if you guys did or not, but it's the happy endings are coming. That it's not all, not all grim. That happy endings are coming and that the blessings of, of the Heavenly Father are being showered down on Ruth. I want to wrap up here on this idea of happenstance um, that we continue to see play out in the life of Ruth and, and through Ruth in the life of Naomi as well. Because Naomi is witnessing this notion of chesed as well. She didn't have much faith in the beginning. She's, she's talking about the calamities that the Lord brought upon her. She's talking about the bitterness that she feels, the emptiness that she feels. And now she's starting to see God move in a foreigner. She's starting to see the blessings of the Heavenly Father fall down on, on her daughter-in-law. I mean, you see it towards the end. She asks, uh, whose field did you work in? And I, I, I read out to you out of the, the English Standard Version, the ESV, um, but there's like the, the LIM translation is the, the Long Island Mother's translation. I imagine, I imagine uh, Naomi being like, oh, so whose field were you in today? Which, which field were you harvesting? Boaz. What a nice man. And a redeemer too. Oh. Like she's planting the seeds in her head a little bit. I think she's starting to try to piece them together. She has this vision of what could possibly be. But I, I, I trust that Naomi's starting to realize that it's not by her own actions. It's not by her ramming through what she desires into the situation, by forcing this situation. It's that she's seeing that regardless of her lack of faithfulness, that the Lord is standing by her in his covenant. That through this foreigner, through this inconvenient faith of this foreigner, she's, she, he, he's moving and blessing her family and potentially her lineage. And we're going to dive into, I was talking with my buddy Lynn, we're, we're going we're gonna to dive into what the redeeming quality, why, why we need a redeemer in this time and, and the significance of this and what it means uh, in the next couple of weeks. But regardless of the motivations, there, there's this desire to getting together. She's, she's recognizing, we're starting to see the recognition of blessing in her life. And God's deep love and covenantal commitment, no matter what the cost is to him. And, and Boaz commits the same. He's shielding her. He, he's giving her abundantly. He's shielding her from harm. We talk about how danger it is, uh, dangerous it is. Naomi recognizes it, saying, thank goodness that you were in Boaz's field. Because she knew Ruth was going out, and she was trying to have, I imagine she was trying to have a good face about it, but she recognized that there could be danger in what she was trying to go out and do. And we see this continued faithfulness from these characters now moving forward. Despite many, uh, many abundant blessings, the, the last sentence gave me pause, and, it, and I actually I view it as a way to kind of turn to encouragement to my brothers and sisters. This, this last sentence, and she lived with her mother-in-law. And I'm not making any mother-in-law jokes because I love my mother-in-law, but she's living at home still. That all these things are going on. All these blessings are transpiring. All the, like the hand of the Lord is moving swiftly behind her, pushing her forward towards his promises. And yet, by potential earthly standards, she's still stuck at home. She's still in the thick of it. I want to encourage my brothers and sisters here today to, 
to take that into consideration when you look at your own current circumstances. The relationships you might find yourself in or not find yourself in. The illnesses, again, that we talk about and that we pray about every, every Sunday and all throughout the week. All these things that might be, you think, are going wrong, we, that we trust that the Lord is doing good with them. And they're certainly not ideal, but there are no coincidences. You're where you're at for a reason. So I want us to take heart despite this adversity, to trust that there are no coincidences, that we're called in these moments to have this inconvenient faith, to see it through, and to have patience. Brothers and sisters, patience and being still in the Lord with that faithfulness as his blessings continue to rain down on us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the peace and comfort that comes with knowing that there are no coincidences. We thank you for moving in our lives, even when we would claim that you're not, even when we would fear that you're not. We thank you for your forgiveness of our unbelief, Lord, and we thank you for the blessing of faithfulness and the continued blessings in in and around our lives, Lord. We pray that no matter where we find ourselves in the story, that we would be used by you, for you, in all things. We pray this, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.